Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. This is the space where conversations I have with some of the world's most amazing artists, at least I think so, uh, exist right here on Apple Podcasts. And on this week's episode, we catch up with someone who, for the longest time, had chosen not really to speak about his music, but to let the music do the talking. Justin Vernon emerged with a very intimate and heartbreaking solo album called Forever, Forever Ago. Written and recorded post-heartbreak in isolation, the album captured the hearts of people all over the world and became one of those all-important companion pieces you carry with you for those moments when you really need it, if you know what I mean. From there, Bonnie Iver released an incredible self-titled second album, and Justin Vernon continued to collaborate and move in all sorts of different spaces with different artists under different names. But what became clear across all of this music was his restless creativity, his desire to experiment, to learn, to grow. And through collaborations with people like James Blake, Kanye West, Aaron Dessner from The National and others, we emerged at the end of the first decade of Bon Iver with a wide, varied and remarkable array of creativity. The only thing missing from my point of view is I hadn't really had much of a chance to talk to him about any of it. Until I got a note from his team with a brand new album attached that came out of nowhere, I immediately replied and said, would Justin be interested in having a conversation about the record this time around? Not the first letter that I'd sent asking for this time. The response this time was positive, and so I flew out to his hometown of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where he set up bass. We sat down in a room adjacent to the band's rehearsal room and dived into his most recent album, Two Eyes, which most people refer to as I and I. A brilliant artist, a beautiful and engaged conversation list. I hope you enjoy this right here. Myself and Justin Vernon finally stretching out into conversation right here on the Zane Lowe series on Apple Podcast. Well, thanks for inviting us to Eau Claire. Yeah, thanks for coming. I mean, this is, this is where I'm from. I love it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Me too. I've only been here a short time, but it's pretty enchanting, man. Thank you. Pretty special. Kind of incredible too when you drive here and you get here because I flew into Minneapolis and then drove. You really are in the heartland, as they say. And, um, and I always think like artists who are able to travel the world and do what they love and then make home somewhere else, kind of one. Um, you don't feel the need to be in the thick of it when you're not in the thick of it. But this is really not in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of mad when you sort of pack your bags and get ready to leave being so isolated in a way? I've gotten used to it. Yeah. And, and now I've, I've grown to love coming back here more and more. Like, it slows down here. Yeah. And there's like, there are races in the bigger cities and there's, there's like a sense of competition or something sometimes mm. amongst people. Mm. Um, and I think one of the reasons I, I've always kind of liked being from here, it matched my, the part of my personality that like, maybe there's just not a lot to prove to one another. We, I mean, we have to go through these really long winters that are really tough and everyone sort of gets equalized by that. And yeah. so um, I just, yeah, we're not here to impress each other. We're try to, trying to be coexisting or something. It's so also it's, your home. Yeah, yeah. It's also your home. I mean, you know, you spend the majority of your life here, I think, well, just a couple of times, maybe even just once, where you had a crack somewhere else and then ended up back here. Yeah, well, I had a crack in North Carolina. It was pretty hot for me. <laughs> and I think about, like, you know, writing music and, and recording here, even though I know you went to El Paso to record the record, but mm -hmm. this is where the inspiration comes, and I think about, like, the old memories and the new ones and, and how it is to sort of remain inspired in a place that you know so well. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the more you know it, the, I mean, just, it, you have, start to have intimacy with the place you're from. You're like, I've been on this road 5,000 times, I, you know, I've driven by this old house that I used to live in 3,000 times or whatever, and uh, that familiarity is, like helps me uh, personally, I think. It just, that, that comfort 
I guess there's something about being a Taurus. Maybe you have to be rooted to the ground or you are rooted to the ground. And that's definitely me. Well, also, you know, you, you said it's changing a lot in certain areas as, as well as should. I mean, things just mm-hmm. change. But you get to contribute to that. You get to be a part of that as opposed to go away and come back 10 years and be like, <laughs> like a gross point blank. You, know? yeah, you yeah. turned my old house into a, you know, yeah, into a yeah, convenience yeah. store? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I get to see all this stuff happen in real time. We're catching up at a point where the album's only been out a few hours and you really surprised us with that. <laughs> but was it always the plan to kind of uh, get the record out ahead of the time? Was it always sort of a bit of a troll? I think so. Well, no, I mean, I think we put that date, the August 30th date out there. We wanted people to, you know, order with their record stores. And there is a sense of frustration sometimes when you make a record and it can't come out because of vinyl uh, or something, or physical, you know, manufacturing. Because it takes time. People don't realize it takes a long, it takes a long time, time to get vinyl. We're using probably 10 different vinyl pressing plants to just get our record done. And people are working around the clock to do, even get it done by August 30th. And yeah. But we also, we had this sense like uh, we wanted people to still support their record stores and do those pre-orders. But, uh, you know, being able to have the music out a few weeks before our tour, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very nostalgic about like the albums that came out in September or August for when I was a kid. Like, they would always give me memories of the, of the autumn. And, and I just wanted people to know the songs before coming to the, the gigs. You know, I just didn't want it to be all a surprise. It's, it's really cool you think seasonally in terms of the way you remember records reaching mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. And I, I mean, I'm real reflective on music. Yeah. And I never thought of the way that made me feel in relation to the seasons. I think there's just some nostalgic stuff. I mean, uh, just, yeah. Like what? Like what, what do you have the fondest memories like listening to for the first time at this time of year? Man, this is, this is pretty far out, but I listen to Alice in Chains' Jar of Flies Oof. every fall, like That's super heavy rotation. That's a record. And then I listen to Hornsby's The Way It Is Still, like in cold January, like... Daytime drives. There's like records that fulfill these little, you know, nostalgic points. I guess. Yeah, super important. Um, so you put out a record for the autumn. Someone already pointed out that you've put out a record now for every season. So obviously the conspiracies have started that now you've mm-hmm. covered all four seasons. It's over. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. People are already saying it's the end, right? No, no, no one can sit in the positive moment for too long. <laughs> it's like it's got to be over now. No, I, I, I actually, um, you know, it's an adjustment going from being from here and not really having a lot of exposure or a ton, you know, just to being pretty hyper exposed as an individual. Uh, Took a long time to kind of get through that. Had a lot of personal anxiety about it and uh, there's been some rough patches. Yeah, because I felt in 2016 this wouldn't have been possible. Me neither, Uh, but I, I put myself in the right positions and and you gotta lean on your friends and you gotta not be afraid. You have to be vulnerable to get better to like heal yourself and I think uh, I've always known that but I think I needed some encouragement and like like usual if you're going to make it through something you're you're going to have your friends there to help you do that and I think uh, I think it happened relatively quickly when I knew what I needed to change and how to how to accept all this stuff better and it was a process but I think it very much led into making this this album and, and it feels like a clearing for me personally and and, and all of us the morale's never been higher with the band and the and the project, and now I'm, I feel like more excited than I've ever really been. It must have been tough for them at times too. Not that that's a consideration when you're going through something like that, but the idea of you sort of saying, "Look, I don't know where I'm at with this right now," and this is a precious experience that they have and you all have together. When someone who's instrumental is not quite sure if they're really committing to it, it's melancholy. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's believe me, I mean, I love the people we work with so much, and um, I ultimately feel sometimes responsible or the last buck. Yeah. If I'm not there, we all lose or something. So that, that, that kind of pressure can get to you if, you if you're not happy daily. 
or something. You know what I mean? And so I've uh, just sorted myself out, I guess. And was this around the 22 a million tour? Or was it the back end? or Man, it, it was rough personally in the years leading up to 22 million, and it was still rough a, a, a year into it. And it sort of bottomed out. I had to cancel a tour because I, I don't know if people have, other people have this. I know other people have anxiety and stuff, but it's just something I feel like it's so important to talk about because I couldn't move. I, like, I couldn't leave the house. It's so strange. I was sick. Yeah, I've had it. You know it. what I mean? It's just, and I still have it at times. Yeah, yeah. I actually wondered the other day, I was thinking about this the other day, um, because I watch other people close to me and people younger than me who are close to me, you know, my family and stuff are starting to develop these traits. And I, and I, I, th- I thought to myself, like, did my grandparents have panic attacks? Oh, yeah, right. Right? Or is this something that is kind of, we've almost as society self-imposed upon e- ourselves and each other through the nature of what we've built around each other? Right. Exactly. It's not, it, it's not helpful unless you, you have to be, like I was saying before, you have to be vulnerable to, to show or to share that like, you're feeling an extreme discomfort and you don't know why. That's a pretty weird place to start a conversation, but holy hell, it's, it's super important. It's the only way out. Yeah. Did you, I mean, I loved it, but did you do therapy and all yep. things required? I yeah. did therapy. I, was, I, tried, I did the uh, SSRI meds, I think, and I'm, I, I've gotten away from those now, you know, which I'm happy about, which... It can be dangerous to go on and off of those things, but the one-on-one therapy was insanely helpful. Just to unload with somebody that is, you know, doesn't necessarily love you, or yeah. you know, and it's like they, they, you just, they are professionals at helping you sort out what's wrong. No, I mean, I, I really loved it, and it gave me the tools, and it also gave me a perspective to look back on even the toughest times when I was at my lowest point, and actually look at them with a sense of gratitude. Yep. Because me I think too. when you come out the other side and the you pull the blinds back and mm-hmm. with the drapes and you see the world for what it is all of a sudden. It's like, thank God. You when, you, when you look back, I can't, I can't actually feel the pain I felt. And I was like, wow, I must have felt really bad that I had to lay down on the bathroom floor. Like I, but I, and I'm so glad that I, I, things do feel sweeter on this side. Yeah, I've just been like crying to cotton commercials again. You know, like the touch, the feel, the cotton. <laughs> So I think that's when you know you're a happy person, when you're crying at commercials. (laughs) Your emotions are in the right place. So you come out the other side of that and you start to to move forward into a new space and and this record begins. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suppose the first question, because every journey has a start, is when did... Well, first of all, the title, I, I, which has got everybody in spins, which I love mm-hmm. that you've left it open to us, but I mean, mm-hmm. personally, and I'm going to share it with you, I just sort of figure, like, you can be I, and that's all very self-fulfilling and yeah. self-important, and that's yeah. where we're going, but you put another co- little comma, another I next to it, and it's like you're facing each other, and you've got to face whatever's going on. You have a brand new responsibility. That's right, exactly. consider other people. Exactly, yeah, that's what I took from it. So, um, so when did it start? When did you start actually making it? Well, actually, some of the, the music predates even 22 Million, and it's the first song, Ye and I Am I, is sort of it's seven years old now, um, and so, but it was way too bright of an entry point for anywhere on 22 million. The song Faith is, was also from that era, so in a way, there's some non-linear time jumps going on. But uh, really, just right after 22 million, took those two songs and a couple other ideas and just started very, very slowly writing. And so, for this three years since 22 million, um, we. We just kind of spent that whole time getting new ideas, and then we went down to Sonic Ranch after those two years and, and just like spent six weeks down there and like brought it all together and made the record. When did you realize it was working? And how did that feel when you realized that it was working? Because it sounds like it was part of the process of you extricating yourself from this dark place. So I'd imagine that when the music started to click with you, everything else started to click with you, and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is kind of an overwhelming 
experience. Was it like that? Yeah. There's, well, there's three things going on. There's like, it, it's back to the, I mean, Brad Cook, who produced the album, like he was also a very instrumental friend. Uh, he did a lot, he's done a lot of heavy lifting with me over the years as we all are there for each other. But um, I think, I don't know if I can point to one moment where it just like clicked like that. But when we were down in Sonic Ranch, the perspective was very wide and, and high. And uh, I, I just, every day we just like look at each other and like, yeah, you know, we got, we got it. We got this. This is so good. You know, and we weren't ever like, oh no. I mean, there were days where it was hard to chase down what we we're trying to accomplish, but it was never like, oh, no, I don't know if we can do this. Which it had been at times in the other places, right? Definitely. Let's think about Forever Forever Ago, um, isolated. Yeah. In every way. Yeah. And then self-titled, I felt like you were sensitive. It was a very sensitive record. When I listened mm-hmm. to that thematically, I think you'd, what we talked about before, the recognizing what other people are going through and absorbing mm-hmm. it. That's what I got from it. And then, then you're in 22 a million, which we've already discussed, you're in a bad place. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the first record you've probably been able to actually enjoy making. And, and kind of been, uh, been able to free myself 100% from, from distractions uh, or from ego stuff or, you know, it's all, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of knots that are untied right now. And you come out of that recognizing that, you know, you're not being drawn into this kind of superficial ego-driven competitiveness, as you call it, and then you, you put an arena tour on sale and you, and you make your most ambitious statement as a band. Yeah. Which I just love that. Well, it's like, it's uh, <laughs> Brad, again, the coach, of this whole situation was the last couple of years is he's like, be generous. You guys are very good right now. Uh, be as giving as you can and, and let as many people as you put a 13th song on the record, like let as many people see you as possible. Don't be afraid. You know, we, we maybe could have tried doing arenas earlier on, but it sort of felt like we wanted to earn, earn it too. And, Plus, don't you want to enjoy it? Which you wouldn't have done. Yeah, exactly. Based on where you were at. Exactly, exactly. And now I just feel much more, yeah, able and, and, and willing to, to be generous and to go into those situations and enjoy them and, and like, know that we're worth it or whatever, you know, and, and, and enjoy it, yeah. Do you think as a kid that this was in you, that this ambition to kind of play arenas was in you, do you think, if you go back and be honest with yourself? Yeah, I, I, I don't think about, I, I probably didn't think about arenas. <laughs> I was probably like, I want to play first half <laughs> in Minneapolis. You know, like that's, that's where I, <laughs> I want to get to. So all any like, any dreams I think have been totally smashed. Like we're going, going to plaid. <laughs> why did you decide to record in El Paso? Why did you, why did you move out of Eau Claire? Because you've kind of always kept it around here. Mm-hmm. Always, yeah. Um, we, we went down there, there's this console down there, this Neve, uh, 4088. And, uh, we knew it was a, a console that we were interested in working on me and Chris Messina, my partner. And, uh, we decided to give it a shot. We'd never really been there, but we'd heard a lot of good things about the vibe, the staff, uh, the Mexican ladies making breakfast every morning. <laughs> like it. It was just, and there was a lot of space. We could sleep there, we could be focused, we could eat, we could make music, and that's all we wanted to do. And you didn't give yourself any time restrictions? Mm-mm. We were just like six weeks, let's go to six weeks, and we generally just worked 10 to 10 every day. And how many songs do you think you went through? Was it kind of, is it, are they all on the record? Yep. 
we, we did not cut any songs that once we went down there and decided what we were working on, we didn't cut any. So it was just a case of being faithful to each song, getting it to a point where you were yeah. as happy with it as possible. Yeah. With a lot of people you trust in the room. Yeah. Sounds like the best band camp ever. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely <laughs> stunning. I mean, we brought our dancer uh, friends, these professional dancers that we do some art projects with, just to come down and like create with us. And, and, and just to like, we, we'd send our artists out to Eric and Aaron to go like videotape them and to the music and just like, it was literally just like, let's get as much of this good energy we've, we've all been able to be around uh, all in one place. It makes total sense. If you think about normal recording experiences, they're so linear and so fo- over, like, intensely focused to the point where it's like OCD levels. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be able to bring inspiration constantly and see how, how your music is working with movement, mm. how your music is working with people reacting to it or how you're being inspired by that, putting it in there. It's like, mm-hmm. that's cool. It is cool. It's like a cool vibe. Yeah. Do you have a projector in there and stuff like that? Oh, God, we have a projector in every room playing all sorts of weird... Like what? Were you playing movies and all... Movies, all... curling championships. <laughs> um, we also have this video synthesizer. What song was inspired by the curling championship? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's got to be on the record somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Come on, it's got to be. Oh, man. <laughs> curling is a winter sport. We're, uh, we're in the autumn now. <laughs> what else were you... What other movies were we on got, like, video, video synths, too, that, like, respond to the, the audio signal in the room that would be very psychedelic weird shapes and changing whatever there's a, we definitely bought some lava lamps like there was a vibe <laughs> were you high yeah <laughs> yes sir the uh, whole time <laughs> you know when i think about the music that you've made it sounds like the most kind of like a wide like you say spirited warm and warning there are mm-hmm. lots of warnings in there too albums <laughs> and now i'm thinking about you high making it i just yeah. want to know what song on the record you were highest when you made it <laughs> <laughs> well they were made so over such a long period of time over so many times of being totally stoned <laughs> Uh, that it would be impossible to calculate. <laughs> you can't be like, that's the OG Kush record? No, no, okay, no. Good. It's the most collaborative record you've ever made mm-hmm. because I guess you're in the most kind of open place, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like you have to go through that singular torment in order to make a record. Like, you can mm-hmm. open the door for people. Mm-hmm. What is the most important part of the process when you're in a collaborative space for you? What's really important is front and center at all times when you're being open and involving your craft with others? Great question, Zane. Uh, I think it's, I think you, uh, I've been lucky enough to have some set of skills to choose really trustworthy individuals to be around me. Um, and they just, as they've chosen me as well, uh, how we found each other. But when you're ready to do something, you don't want somebody to be doubting you or to have some body language that's weird. Like, you just want chill people. Chill people that are like, their only goal in life is to make the song better. Nobody's in there trying to like gain something or like get songwriting credit or like everyone's just there for the same reason I am. Um, and when you have the power of others around you and they share that energy, you can get, you can get a lot done. You must have learned that from collaborating with others too and being in that room. And you must have seen the flip side of it as well, where you've been in awkward rooms and rooms where others don't get that. I usually don't hang on those rooms very long. Was this like Uber? (laughs) Yeah. You're doing LA exit? Like, where did Justin go? I haven't seen him for like two hours. He's halfway back to Oakley. (laughs) True. It's happened before. (laughs) I feel like you had a fast track through the collaborative space in a weird way working with Kanye, Mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, I've spoken to so many people who've been lucky enough to work with him and it just sounds like every room is moving in, in tandem with every other room, mm-hmm. and best idea wins. Yeah. How did you apply what you learned from that into an environment like where you can make a record like this now? Well, you, you, I definitely witnessed, you know, how you can you can have music be cooking on a stove like over here, 
and you can respond to it. If you're if you're like Kanye, you, you can wait, and there's going to be cooks in all sorts of kitchens, and they're going to show you all sorts of stuff, and you get to react to a lot of things. You get to say no to a lot of things until you're like very sure you like something. Um, that was very stunning to watch him just a hear it all and like have the bandwidth to to communicate that well with that many folks. Um, there, there's such a thing as too many folks. I remember in, in Wyoming, we were out there, and there was one time where it was really just four of us, and then there was another time where there has to be 45 of us, like in multiple houses. And I remember we had a small conversation. We're just like, he's like, I, I don't know he, who's even here. <laughs> he's a bit. You know, like I think there may be too many of people here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so there's there's all sorts of... All sorts of drawbacks there, but... I mean, for me, it's like, it's funny, because as, as an individual who walks through life with this kind of... Um, people assert this sort of a... He's, he's driven by his ego type, type, type thing. And yet, when he's, re- when he's creating, everyone tells me that it's the opposite. He's walking around letting everybody have their space to do what they want. And all he, all he really wants is the ability to be able to conduct and arrange accordingly and move around. Yeah. Make it his own. He cares about music a lot. It's yeah. not, you don't get to have made the music he's made if you don't. And uh, he's, he puts it very high up. I can see the way that you've approached this record in an egoless way and you've talked about how that you have no interest in that side of things. I mean, the first voice that's on the record official is not yours. Yeah. It's James. No. Is it not? No. Oh, People, I was, ju- was going to jump off the cliff and I, you know what? No. I was even on the plane going, I'm going to let that hang and he can tell me who it is and I'll agree. And I fucking blew it. Oh, it's all right. No, it's actually quite funny because people have been definitely thinking that it's James. Sounds like him. Yeah. He, there's one half a second of James's voice in the, in the end of that song. But that, that voice you hear in the first song is actually uh, this guy, Mikey Noyce. And he, um, he used to be in the band. He used to be my guitar student. He's just a, one of my favorite singers. And he, he recorded that song seven years ago, or recorded his vocals and he just never deleted them. Um, and the same day we did that, actually, we made another song um, with his same vocals. Which one? It's called, it, well, it wasn't called anything. It was called Noise 2 until last two weeks ago, Francis called me. It was like, Chance wants to chop up that, that one MP3 that you sent me like four years ago. And so it's called Town on the Hill on Chance's record. And that's, so it's the same, same voice, Mikey... B.J. Burton doing the drums, and, and I'm playing keyboards. Wow, that's so. a good vocal tape. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's and it's him improvising. You know, it's like... What is so spe- okay, as someone who's used that in one of the two songs, what is so special about that piece of audio that is traveling and that Chance loves and you love and want to use? I think, I don't know, Mikey's voice really trips people up. Like, we used to, he used to get hoots and hollers more than anyone in our band when he would rip a lead line of his voice. He's just got one of those crystalline, those crystalline voices. Just cuts right through. It's a pretty magic way to start the record. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Francis because he's popping up in all the right places at the moment. Chance said the most wonderful things about him when I caught up with him recently about oh. this record. He's just saying that, you know, he was instrumental in helping Chance really find his way through the album and, you know, just gave him such a creative confidence and space to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like as an artist in his own right, he's incredible, but he's also this amazing collaborator. Yeah. What's so unique about you and his relationship? Because you've worked on each other's music and it's obviously deeper than just music. Yeah, man. I mean, he, he came out to live here in Eau Claire for a few years when he was kind of not exactly sure where he was supposed to be. And he was here for years. And we just became very, again, the friendship things just became even more important than the music. And so he didn't move out here because of you. He moved out here anyway. No, I mean, we, I was like, where are you? I, I think he was living in a mail truck. 
And I was like, you should come live here. <laughs> That'd be cooler. Um, and um, like I saw, he was a little beat up when he got here, and, and uh, he, he just kind of got healed a little bit, uh, not just by me or by being here. He just took the time to be out in nature and, and make music uh, away from some of the distractions. And, um, yeah, he met BJ Burton out there when, when we were all living out there, and he, they ended up making a lot of music together. And it's just about sharing time. That's the reason me and Francis have ended up on so many records together. Like, I think Francis and I have, like, the production credit on the last song in the Nas record, and I don't even remember making it. Uh, it's even like, more impressive awesome. that you don't even, you can't even confirm that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, do I have a credit on the Nas album? <laughs> That's cool. But it's, you know, I think it's a credit to, we just spend a lot of time together. Yeah. We enjoy each other's company, and we're also both musical, so that's why there's been so much shit that we've done together, because we're just all, you know, we like to spend time together. And it moves, and that's what's cool, like you said, I mean, all of a sudden the vocal that was been sitting there for seven years finds its way onto a song on your record and then someone else hears it. Yeah. I love that thing about music, that you make it and you get it as defined as you possibly can, but it by no means has taken the shape it's going to take. No, no. It's always like a big, giant rock out in the, in the field, and you have to go and like chip away at it until it actually exists in its true form. It must have been tough for you as pure and amazing as this experience is, but to have people tell you how much their, your music means to them mm -hmm. when you were in a bad place. Real difficult thing to swallow. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to swallow any time. I, th I feel like that's the worst trade for a musician, <laughs> is that you make all this amazing stuff we love and you don't get to acknowledge or accept in a, in a real way sometimes how, what it means to us. Sure. I mean, I, I, I know that music means a lot to people and I take it really seriously, obviously, but I also... Uh, there's something that just kind of just feels odd when, when, when people say that I'm, Justin is the one responsible for this music. You made this music. And I, I can't, this is another thing with the album title, I, I, I and I. It is, it, we're really not alone. And we each have our own vision and we each have our own ego that, that can you know, bring us to, to sometimes very great places, but you can't do anything on your own. And so I get... I get distracted or kind of tripped up by like, man, thank you for everything you've done. I was like, but what about everyone who helped me do me and also everyone else that did everything is always doing everything around me. And it, it's just a little, you know, it's like lights and microphones and, and, and attention. It's like, I didn't do it for this. I'm not going to sit here and like, aren't I awesome? You know, like, I, it's just, a, it's an odd place. That's my job. Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it's just like, that's not why we do it. I think, yeah, I I, I, in a, you know, I'm a non-religious person, but I, I think that I studied religions and, 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 and obviously I'm into music. And I think that there's actually, there's something still in music that we're still learning about what it, the power of it. Undoubtedly. And what it can do. And so that's why I take it so seriously. But at the end of the day, it's just like, I don't want it to be all somehow reflected on me like I was responsible for. It's like, I think we're all digging, digging the earth up to try to find meaning and to try to find, you know, solace. You were collaborative from the very beginning. In fact, it was probably we're looking back on it now that your first breakthrough record for Emma Forever Ago was you isolated in a cabin on your own because that's not how it was supposed to be, was it? Right. Well, I mean, I was in bands since I was 12 years yeah. old. I was always with my dudes. Uh, Brad, I mean, Brad and I started being in the band together when we were 16, you know, like now we're still working together. Um, we didn't speak for a year, like when we kind of had to go through this tough breakup. But in, in many ways, it was my—it was a rebirth that album, and, and it really was better than anything I had done before. And it was the first time I'd really stepped out on my own, um, and that was an important process. Um, 
but then it, everything kind of really started going. <laughs> I mean, who honestly goes through a tough breakup like that and has to go and find some place in order to heal themselves and puts them in the most isolated part during yeah. the toughest season of the year? Yeah. I, it, you either have an incredible presence of mind or you're no mind at all, and I don't know which one you had <laughs> at that moment in your life. Well, it's a good question. I don't think I had, um, I don't think I had anywhere else to go. Um, I, I didn't, you know, at that point I wasn't, wouldn't say I was anxious or even depressed. I was just kind of clueless. I didn't know what to do. This, this band was breaking up. I was working on these tunes, but it's, I didn't have no agent or not, you know, I, I didn't have anything. I just, so I decided I should finish this album and, and apply to school to go back to school for music teaching or whatever. So it was really, it was really not a beginning of, uh, uh, in a way. It was, and that was the road you were headed on. Mm -hmm. That was an ending. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, I'm going to do this record. And I got asked to go play a guitar in this band called the Rosebuds, who were very instrumental, helped me name the band and everything. Um, and just while I was playing guitar in that band on my first tour ever as a 26-year-old, like my old Kentucky blog like writes about us because I just put my album on MySpace, you know, and then I'm like signed two months later, you know. And it, so it's, it's funny when you, when you get to that last stage in like hope for something, I had definitely given up. And I think I needed to give up the dream that I was sort of created my whole life. I wanted to have music be my job so badly, I was holding on way too tight. And when I finally was like, maybe I can't do this, and maybe I'm not built for this, and maybe I should be able to accept my, you know, my nature and, and go back to school and teach music, it just happened right in that moment when you let go. And I, I don't think there's like, that's not coincidental, I don't think. I, don't, I agree. I don't spend a huge amount of my time thinking about the meaning of life, but as I grow older and I have children, I have all these things, I'm looking to try and narrow it down and focus and to distill it into something that's simple. Mm -hmm. And I do think those are two very important words mm -hmm. that can be applied across the board, which is let go, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty constant. Yep, definitely. I mean, you, you, you just can't hold on to, to shit. I mean, if you are mad driving around in your car and you are so angry at someone, you really gotta chill the fuck out. And you've been there? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, but you know, I've been angry about things. I used to get angry about the industry, or like angry about the Grammys, or like it's just not worth it. You know, it's just when you're holding on to all these things, you can get so distracted uh, into just. We always talk, we always say it's like dying on a mountain. It's like you're gonna die on that mountain. Why don't you like wait for the next more important conversation? Yeah. To like get angry with someone above. I'm glad you brought that up because it did feel at the time like when you won those awards and you're coming off the back of that 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 second Bonnie Vera album, which is you know, like all your albums, amazing and rightfully look depending on how you feel about awards and trinkets and glories, mm -hmm. it rightfully deserved to be acknowledged mm -hmm. in whatever room in whatever mm -hmm. capacity as an incredible body of work. Yeah, and that clearly didn't sit right with you, and it's sort of where things started to kind of get off kilter a bit. Yeah, it made me mad. I think I was mad because I had totally P PTSD from being by myself on that stage uh, and, and having all this, this, you know, I thought I had my head screwed on tight, but it, it, there's no way I could have prepared myself for the change in lifestyle and the change of attention. I never once was somebody that would need to be away from people. I was always down to be with people, always, always, always. And now I have a thing where I can't. It's just you. <laughs> I, have yeah. to, I have to get away from from the attention, it just feels like a, a waste of time or something. But I'm not angry anymore. And I think that's part of what you go through when you have anxiety, you're wrapped up too tight, you're, you're worried about the wrong shit, and all of a sudden you're ill and you need help getting unill uh, from holding on to those things. And so I'm not angry about 
it's it's a pretty silly thing to get angry about like music or or things that are pretty you know these aren't changing the, the cultural landscape of of things it's like the award show or not it's like these aren't the things to get really bent out of shape about like like if you don't like an album maybe just don't say anything <laughs> to anyone or just like oh, i'm not into it it's like, why do you got to hate on it? Ah, see, that's not the modern way, though, is it? Because everyone has access to, to tools now and to, and to channels of communication within which we can all be heard if we really want to. Mm-hmm. Very good things about that. No one's sitting here. I'm not sitting here going, like, shut it down. Uh-huh. I get it. I understand it. It goes on in my house all day long. Yeah. But it, it does make it difficult if you're going out there trying to do something pure when yeah. you're facing that. I mean, you've had a pretty interesting relationship with social media. You've popped your head up a few times and said uh-huh. some pretty funny shit. <laughs> What's your general feeling about the way we communicate these days? Uh, I don't like that people can be verified or not verified. I don't like being, I don't want to be verified. I just find it all, it's all pretty funny. You end up doing sh- like somebody told me, or I was listening to a podcast where they're like, you know, like 75% of retweets are like, people don't read the articles of like, you know? They just like the they're headline. They're just like, oh yeah, that's a headline I can, I can like get with. Right. And I do the same shit. It's like, oh yeah, I, f- I f- with that social platform. Yeah, yeah. Retweet. You know, it's just like we're all, we're, we're, we haven't adapted to this shit. I mean, like I didn't have a cell phone or the, the internet really even in high school, you know? And so we're all adapting and it's, it can get pretty ugly. Like I, I made that huge mess out of the Eminem song and I was just in a car wash, like, and I just tweeted. And it's like, what was I doing? Like, I should have just probably chilled out and like actually just said, please don't put this song out. Kept it private. Exactly. And it was very rude. And I felt, I felt really bad about it. And mm. I think people like don't have not figured out how to calculate how easy it is to say something on there with how much you should say it. Try having kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Um, dude, congrats on, uh, on fulfilling a... Ch- I'm just going to call it on a childhood dream. You told me one of the albums that you remember from a season was Bruce Hornsby in the range. Holy yeah. shit, he's yeah. on your album. Yeah. Playing piano? Yeah. Such a Bruce Hornsby line, it's ridiculous. Well, it's just his song. I mean, he, he came out and... It's just his track. He just had an instrumental track called Fanfare. Uh, and I was like, what is this, Bruce? He's like, I don't know. I just wrote it. He's like, are there any vocals? He's like, no. It's like, can I sing on it? <laughs> and can I have it for my album? He's like, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And so we, we just basically just kept Bruce's home recording and just added, added layers and added the bass line and melody and Moses. And, it's so beautiful, that song. Oh, uh, thanks. I, I just, we were playing it today and it's definitely a different, a different mood than we've ever had. It's kind of like kind of angry joy face. It's angry joy. Yeah. It is. It is because lyrically you're saying a lot of real stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's always a real, it's a great experience going through what you're saying because you never make it obvious. It's never an obvious sentiment. Mm-hmm. You've got to really search for the meaning and, mm-hmm. and apply it and how you take it. But what I took from that was that, you know, you're sort of addressing a, a, a sense of kind of um, quote unquote blissful denial mm-hmm. that's going on in society right now that we're not staring at what's really going on around us and very close to us as well. Yes. Is that kind of what the general gist of it is? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's another line in, in the song Gelmore where it's like, how long will you disregard the heat? That's right. It's like, really, truly, we might, we have no idea what's going to happen and it could get really bad. Really bad. And we need like, we don't need like bureaucratic 15, 20 year plans. We need like the plans to, that sh- should be happening now. now. Like right now, like tomorrow, today. <laughs> is, this the, is this the first time that you've made it obvious enough for me to recognize those themes in a Bonnie Verb project? Probably. I mean, again, I, with letting go and not being angry, like, not dying on the Grammys mountain or like, you know, like just shedding yourself of things that aren't ultimately viable for like the long-term existence on earth, you know? Uh, you, you end up, you end up having more gratitude. You end up having, you get more out of life and you're able to look beyond your own 
the question of your own survival. You know what I mean? You can, you can start to look at the other and, and our, you know, organism that we live on and, and to start to treat it with the same respect that you've managed to treat yourself. Well, if we don't get this right, there are no Grammys and there are no things to get mm -hmm. mad at and no, none no, of it no. makes any sense. There's no sweetness. I mean, there's already a lack of sweetness for a lot of people on earth. Yeah. Um, and you, you just, you, it's, life is a very beautiful thing if you can be safe and you can, and that's not what everyone has. And I think that's when, when you are safe and, and you are, you can be vulnerable and you, you, you can feel lucky to be alive. Um, it, it makes you want to share that and, and to make it more possible for the people that don't have those possibilities. You went to El Paso to record the record. The record is really focusing at times on this kind of pain that's going on, this desire to try and mend and to find mm -hmm. a way for us to heal each other, I and I. And that's an area of the world that's going through a lot of pain right now. Mm -hmm. We were three miles from one of the camps. The Sonic Ranch, uh, one of the d detention centers, which is an awful, awfully light name, I would say, for what they are. We, we were, where the studio is situated, uh, 40 miles east of El Paso, a town called Tornillo, which is a lot of, it's a high action zone between Juarez, Chihuahua, and West Texas. Yeah. Um, Sonic Ranch has sat on like 3,000 3, acres of pecan trees. It's a farm they have there, and then they've, in the haciendas, they've built these studios and everything. But on this old pecan uh, property this guy Tony owns from the family, it butts up against the Mexican border. So he's got, you know, maybe say it's like three, four miles rectangle, and he's got like three miles of frontage on the Mexican border. And, uh, you know, they used to have people coming through every day. You know, they weren't putting them up or anything. That they just would come through their property 20, 30 a day for decades. And so the border patrol put up this wall. But what's so is that they put up this wall on Tony's property. It only takes up about this much. And then you can just go to a point and look, and there's this little creek, and there's birds flying back and forth, and then you're just like, there's no wall. It just ends, and it's just still on private property. And there's a border patrol guy sitting like 600 yards away. So now it's just a gross symbol. It's just, it's an, it utterly, we walk down there all the time just to get, just to look at it and be like, this, this is what blindness gives you. And, but then I think some of the, the guiding principles that are really kind of dividing the nation right now. Um, you talk about the mass shootings that are going on, everything that's going on right now. And I wonder how you kind of translate that information in the modern world coming from the heartland where a lot of these principles, you know, this is a Republican state now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, information is really easily manipulated. And um, I, you know, being, being on the left side of things, uh, you, you, can, you can end up being angry about, uh, about the rhetoric that, that gets put out there. Um, but that's also not where we really need to start from either. Um, you can't anger yourself into change. You're not going to anger someone into changing their policy and I think that if there's anything I wished and it's it's I'm not going to wish harm on anybody on the right I don't I don't actually believe that they're like hey, hey, hey. I think they just believe in what they 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 believe in and I think that it's you know very harmful and I just wish that there was there was better leaders younger leaders in the in the left um leading more than reacting to this whole thing. Yeah, true, true that. Um, 
I want to ask you, I've always wanted to ask you this question, and given this is the first chance we've ever had to really chop it up long form, um, how do you, and what's the process behind naming your songs? Hmm. Well, the last couple of records, it's been kind of a game, you know. Um, I think the second record, I've always liked songs called Place Names, and I, it just ended up kind of being a theme when you're saving a song, you end up... Um, it, it really did, in that instance, you know, it really did come from when Heath Ledger died, I happened to be, just had just met one of his dear, dear friends that day. And so it was a really explosive, bizarre kind of witness to, to intense grief. Um, but that's kind of when that song Perth came out and that's where he's from and it was just sort of like... Didn't you clear the, just clear the decks and say, stay with us? Yeah. Yeah, we just had him stay. Well, he also couldn't go back to his house because that's where Heath was and there was the investigations and shit. So we just kind of sat with him, with uh, Matt. Um, but so there's this intense thing of like where maybe he's home now maybe, or maybe he's back like in this dusty field like riding in his, in his field or something. But And so there's the, I've always liked song, song names uh, that, or place names, excuse me. And so that album just kind of came together as this like what are places? What are these things? Minnesota, Wisconsin, or uh, it just became a fun theme. Uh, and then, so then you have to kind of like bend. So, some songs are like, I don't know if this song is supposed to be called uh, a number, uh, but we're gonna just stick with it anyways. You know, so 22 million ended up being this. The number 22 is like my number. You know, it just like follows me everywhere. It's kind of a lucky number, I guess you'd say. But um, I, I don't know. I, I like the themes, and this one being all people's names. Probably done with the themed naming now. I think I've spent a little too much time thinking about it, but it's just fun. I, I like I like it when there's bizarre themes you can that can take you through a thing and be thinking about people's faces and making things up. And so they're all names. I mean, obvious. I don't know. You tell me. Are these are these people's these people that are close to you? Or are they just people that they conjure up in your mind when you're thinking about like hold it, Holyfield? Like, I mean, yeah. That yeah. I think that they're Holyfields is with an S at the end, so it's like a surname. So I'm thinking about. Packs of families and uh, not not anything too specifically, but faith. I just think of a like a nice fifty-five-year-old lady driving a Datsun down fifty-three in Wisconsin. I don't know. It's a lovely name, and it's actually you know what's funny though is that um, you talked about studying religious doing religious studies when you're at school, and you have a song called Faith, but it's a name. Uh-huh. And so it's interesting because when I was going through the song and I was listening to, it, I was searching for all these kind of little Easter eggs and ideas about what you were going to say about religion, and yeah. perhaps it's nothing to do with that at all. Well, it. it it is. It is. I like to play with it. You know, it's like uh, I just think it's a little goofy that we have a name called Faith. And I love, but it's also very beautiful. And I also like that Faith. You you can't define it as a religious faith. It is. It's a word that's definable outside of that. Do you have faith? Do you, do you apply faith in your life, even though you're not necessarily predisposed to one religion or another? Mm. I wouldn't hold on to it all the time. I think like anything, you, you sometimes you got to have faith, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you shouldn't have faith. Because then you'd be like, well, it's just going to be fine. I can just stay right here and not change anything, and faith will get me through. You know, I just don't know. Sometimes it can be dangerous. Is that a precursor to the last line on the record? Second to last line on the record? What's that? Where you go, uh, it's all fine anyway, we're going to be fine anyway, or something like that. Yeah. I didn't know how to take that. On one hand, I thought this is a really wonderful, positive context, a perspective upon which you've arrived at some kind of revelation, some kind of resolution of what mm-hmm. everything means. Mm-hmm. But then I was also like, it's kind of sad. Maybe it's just like a little bit cynical. Well, it, it, I think there's, there's a playfulness to it, but I, I really feel uncynical, I mean, in that song. A little, you know, I think the first lines of that tune are, um, it's all just scared of dying, but isn't, isn't this, this a beach? beach? 
and and I, it's just like, hello, yeah. what are we? What are you waiting for? Like this, look at outside. Look at all these people. Like look, all the, everyone is here. We're here now. Like what is this idea of heaven? Like what about this incredible? Shit? Notice it. <laughs> you know, like it, that's kind of what it is. And so like we're gonna be fine. You know, even if you don't get enlightened, is like or you think like I do, or like we're all here. We're sharing. It's happening. We're here. Uh, but it could all be. What's the last line? If we don't change it soon, it could all be. If you wait, it can it can be undone. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a little bit like yes, it, we're, we we might extinguish the earth. Um, we, we we may, but we all have to like know that that's what's on the line here because this is a pretty beautiful situation. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just being totally totally fucked over. How are you approaching putting a set list together now when you're at this like four album thing and it's pretty it's cool. Probably the funnest part about being in a band for this long is like, holy shit, we get to write sick ass set lists now. It's like pretty stuff cool. from our first album. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it's pretty nice. Like, and also there's stuff on this record that's maybe like a little brighter. And sometimes it's like yeah. sometimes you can kind of get depressed at a bond show. Maybe you know, it's like oh, hot, high sad. Shit. Again. No, no, never. But never. you know, like, no, I'm just, I'm, it's not self-effacingly, but sometimes I'm serious. Like, it's like, why do we have this another slow, sad song with a free jazz bridge in it? You know, so it's like nice to have new choices, so you don't end up making those mistakes. <laughs> um, and also, of course, you know, you've got all this other music you made with amazing artists too, which won't, I guess, won't be reinterpreted into a Bonnie Verse show, but. You know, so many amazing songs that you don't get to play when you go out and play with this mm -hmm, band. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of bittersweet in a weird way. Like, I would love to hear some of the Big Red Machine songs. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't, don't you even just look slightly tempted? I mean, you work with Bryce on this record and Aaron on this record. Yeah. Just put, like, people's lullaby in there just for, like, a hot second. I thought about that, you know, and it's actually funny that you say that, Zane, because I've been talking to Aaron about that lately. It's like, well, I'm releasing my ego from, from needing to be at the center of Bon Iver for it right. to make all this sense. And Aaron, and we've been... St we've started some new Big Red Machine stuff. I'm trying to encourage him to get a lot of other singers on it and stuff like that, but there's this one tune he wrote called Reese, and it's like one of the best songs I've ever heard. Uh, and, I, and I made up some really nice vocals and lyrics for it, and I'm just like, had this one day, I was like, why wouldn't I just make that a Bon Iver song? You know what I mean? Like, put it out on the net. Like, who cares yeah. who writes it? It feels like, yeah. it feels like part of this thing. And, uh, so yeah, that, that might be happening more often. <laughs> and we can, we can find ourselves in a time when you do decide to be, to use this kind of current distribution era and the ability to be able to put music out as and when. And because you've been so free with other people's music and other projects, mm -hmm. I felt like Bon Iver has come with this kind of weight behind each project. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm a little, sigh, you know? exactly. I'm a little tired of those big gulps. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 I want, I'm seeking more balance with that stuff. And like, right, I'm really excited. We've got, I've got songs that when we're writing, I've been writing with Anais Mitchell and, um, and, and just other people and I've been like actually writing quickly and things are happening. And I'm like, I don't want to wait for another album. Maybe we just put out some singles this year or like, uh, or whatever singles me, but just like put out music, rather, you know, because the, the wait thing, you know, it's really fun, like putting out the album and seeing everyone's faces and like doing this with you. And, but it's a lot. It's a lot, like, all, all of the... Yeah, it's like, an unnatural... Look at us, look at our album. Yeah. Again, like, retweet, retweet, you know. It's an unnatural the, amount of attention in a very short yeah, amount of time. Yeah, exactly. And, and you want people to, to hear it. That's why we do it. You want people to... You want to share your, your prayers or whatever. Um, so 
we, we, we ultimately do those things. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you don't want to just be like wearing a t-shirt of yourself or when you go out for coffee or something, you know, that's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> you say that now, see you in three, it's time to be like, wow, this let go thing really took on another level. I'm literally like got my name on the back of the jacket, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, wow, I, I'm, I've been waiting to have this conversation with you for such a long time and I really just came for the learnings. Yeah. I just came yeah. fully curious. Yeah. Um, what was the last conversation you had, or what was the last conversation you can remember you had where you really learned something? A really meaningful conversation. Mm, perfect. I got a perfect answer for you. My, my friend Brad, uh, who produces this record, my, my oldest best friend, and I was in this situation where I was really excited and I was talking to all these people. We were at you know, a small gathering and uh, I was saying all these things about how, oh, maybe you and me can do this. And I was really getting excited. And Brad, Brad pulled me aside and was like, hey, there's such a thing as being too excited. And here's why. Because you might not have the time to even call that person back. And they, that, that's not a good look. And, and you, you should, he, he just like, it's not he didn't want me to be an excited person. But I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to just like get so excited and think about what is all possible without getting too far ahead of myself. Some, sometimes you, you, know, you get into trouble and it's not like you want to run away from excitement, but there's such a thing as, as <laughs> being calm. <laughs> you know, you've, um, I've really loved it. Man, I love catching up with you, especially in this kind of amazing place. Watching the sun. You've had a view of the sun yeah, going I, down. It's I'm been not incredible. I mean, you're, very, you're a very handsome man. Thank you, appreciate is, it. Uh, that's better it's though. Very, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to <laughs> glance over at. Well, um, I mean, I, I, I uh, no, it's it's important to talk about this stuff too, and it, I, uh, I get, I get uh, battered pretty quickly, or like talking about music or something. But it is so, it's so cool that you have a job like you have, Zane. Because I mean, really, like music, it should be celebrated, and and it isn't, it isn't all just like rock magazines selling rock magazines. Like there's something happening with music that really, truly uplifts people. And I even think it's easy to forget that, even when you're in it every day, and I'm in it every day. But for people out there, the fans, it's like this is just, we're only talking about music. We're not talking about like, like a drug that makes you happy. It's like literally vibrations and, and doing this stuff. So I, I just appreciate you're out there shouting about things that make Thanks. you feel those things. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's a, it's a great trade for me. And all of us, we get this record. Last question. Yeah. You said before um, that you, it was nearly the end, and it wasn't a beginning. It was really the end when you made for, for Emma Forever Ago, mm -hmm. um, and you had a different plan. And I wonder now, being in this place where you've kind of taken over this entire <laughs> building, <laughs> and there's people everywhere who are just here collaborating with you, loving this experience, this process, you're deep in rehearsal, you're mm -hmm. going to go play biggest rooms. Are you, do you accept now that this is what you should be doing with your life yes. this time around? I really do. I can smile about it. See, I was scared, man. I got scared, and I, I, I can smile about it now, and I feel lucky. And even when it's hard, like even when I get nervous, and even when, it's, when I don't want to do something, or it, you still, I, still, I still feel that gratitude. And yeah, it's a very, very apt question. I'm, I accept this. I, I, there's, it's not scary to me anymore to be a semi... Uh, well-known person. It's, it's not the biggest deal. It's not what's going to ultimately define me and my soul or my mind or my life, you know. Uh, 
it won't be the last defining thing, but it gets to be something that I love doing and I feel like I actually am here to do. And so I feel very grateful to be, to have that circuit closed. Very grateful. We're stacking them up right here on the Zane Lowe series. You can see them. There's interviews up with Kanye West, uh, Billie Eilish, Lady Gaga. One of my favorite interviews recently with John Bryan about the late great Mac Miller's most recent body of work, Circles. Very soon, we'll be uploading my interview with Tom York. So make sure you subscribe right here so it shows up in your podcast space without even thinking about it.